my sin remained a dirty stain, my good could not erase. Then Jesus came, and sin he claimed, and cleansed me by his grace. To Christ I so severe, I stumble on my way, yet Jesus keeps and never sleeps, his right hand holds me safe. Well, then take your Bible, turn over to uh, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6 tonight. I wasn't going to share this because I don't want to, I didn't really want to uh, complicate things or, you know, kind of get you thinking about the wrong things in church, you know, when we're trying to focus on the Word of God and all, but... You know, the only thing that flat earthers have to fear is fear itself. 
Sphere itself, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, you know, I thought I'd get that out there because some of you may be, mess, you know, kind of messing around with that flat earth theory there. You know, and uh, my, my new toaster oven, it makes cooking lunch so much easier. <clears throat> and I love that thing. I used to eat unappetizing sandwiches, but I quit cold turkey. Yeah. Yep, completely. Yep. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 6. I'll tell you what, when we were singing that song, we were supposed to be going, what was it, uh, hallelujah or praise the Lord? What was that again? Amen. Amen. Yeah, I knew it was something like that. Until I'm really engaged. But I was like, man, I, I don't know if you're engaged. You know what I mean? I, I was like, man, come on, Brother Josh, get him fired up. And yeah, it started getting a little better there. So I thought maybe I'd share a few of those puns and maybe get you fired up for the message, okay? All right, 2 Kings chapter 6. It didn't work. But anyway, chapter 6. Notice what it says in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. Sorry, I'm getting this, I'm going to get this uh, mic cord straightened out, or I'm going to be tripping all over it. Verse 3 And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? And he shewed him the place. And he cut down the stick and cast, uh, cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put it out, and he put out his hand and took it. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, this passage is one that is rather intriguing. Lord, it... Uh, is one that we probably uh, or possibly have heard about, at least if we've been in church a long time, but it's not one that we probably speak about a lot. But Lord, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity tonight to proclaim your truth, and I pray you'd fill me with your spirit and allow me, Father, to share something that will benefit and bless the people of God. We are a needy people tonight as we face a world that's in darkness, whose needs abound. Lord, help us to be a blessing to them. But, Lord, we also need you to bless us. We live in this world, and if we're not careful, we can become rather discouraged and down as well if we get our eyes off of you. Help us, Lord, just to keep coming back to you and the cross. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the special tonight and the message that it had. Lord, for the choirs, they lifted up their voice. What a tremendous message. Lord, tonight, may you bless this message now to our hearts, to our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 
We open up chapter 6 by noting the prophet Elisha and the sons of the prophets. Now these men, basically, the sons of the prophets, are men that are students of the prophets, if you will. And in this particular case, namely Elisha. Elisha is obviously a wonderful teacher and popular with the students. There were other prophets, I'm sure, that contributed, but it's obvious in our passage that he was a very popular uh, teacher amongst them. And you say, well, what would clue you into that? Well, the students point out that the school's just too small for the amount of students that attend. Elisha's reputation as a teacher and prophet must have been growing. I mean, there's a reason why we find him spoken of in the Word of God. There's a reason why God reminds us of him thousands of years after his birth and death. And so we see that his reputation and his influence is obviously growing. It's not necessarily the curriculum that makes a school successful as much as it is the faculty. In this case, there's a tremendous teacher on board, at least, for sure at one, by the name of Elisha. As a result of that, the school is growing. They're running out of space and room. And so one of the students points out that, hey, we, we need some more space. I want you to note also the student asks if they can go make a place to dwell. These students approach Elisha. And they asked permission to build a dorm and a school for themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems a little unusual, doesn't it? That's not how it normally works now. I mean, when schools get kind of small or space gets kind of limited, nobody's going to the teacher and saying, let us build. As a matter of fact, today, students are more likely to expect others to do everything for them, but not these students. Elisha had obviously instilled character and a very good work ethic into their lives. These were not entitled brats, but engaged believers. Elisha gave them the green light and said, okay, go ahead. You want to build something bigger? You want to build something larger that will facilitate the growing population of the student body? You go right ahead. Notice in verse 3, though. One of the students, probably speaking on behalf of the other, says, Hey, Elisha, would you, would you please come with us? We'd like you to be a part of the process. Now, most students that I know, they're quick to leave their professors in the classroom and get away as soon as they possibly can. Not these students. Once again, Elisha is obviously well-liked. He's well-respected. He's a class favorite. The students not only enjoyed the class that he taught, but they enjoyed being around the man of God or the teacher. Because see, Elisha must have brought more to the table than just information. He obviously brought influence and inspiration. Elisha would go with them in verse 4. I wonder how many teachers would do that. Elisha didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. So the work began, and it was moving right along until finally one of the men approaches Elisha. Why? Because his axe head had flown off the handle, had just taken off on him. If that wasn't bad enough, 
things got worse or more complicated as the axe had landed in the muddy Jordan River and just couldn't be found. The incident alarmed that young man. You say, well, why? Why was it such a big deal? Well, first of all, iron was not something that was easy to come by. Tools were not something that were abounding in those days. We remember that even when Jonathan and Saul not, uh, were, were seeking to fight a battle, they were the only two that had swords. We recall that portion of Scripture. And so now we have this axe head that's lost. But not only is it just any axe head, it's a borrowed axe head. He had lost somebody else's property. And that seemed to shake him up pretty good. So he goes to the man of God for some help. The man of God cuts down a stick and throws it into the water. Whereupon doing so, the iron that had sunk suddenly floats to the top. And he tells the man, okay, reach out and get it. And then he says, basically, get back to work. And that's where we see or we find ourselves in this passage. I just want to give a couple of basic thoughts tonight from the passage. Just a couple of simple thoughts. Number one, man today is like that axe head. He slipped off the handle and he's fallen. Mankind is totally deprived, depraved, and hopelessly lost in sin. It's a good picture of man. The muddy waters of humanity engulf all of us without Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Elisha cuts down a stick and he casts it into the waters, the waters of death. And that stick represents the cross of Jesus Christ. And our Lord came down to that cross. And when he went to that cross and he shed his perfect precious blood and gave his life, in essence, he went down into the waters of death for you and I. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. See, the truth is, is that humanity can rise from the waters of death. <clears throat> they can rise from the depths of judgment. Why? How? Through Jesus Christ. They can escape the penalty of sin through Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Even as that axe had come off that handle and it ended up in that muddy Jordan River, so we, like as human beings, end up in the muddy, uh, 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 wicked state of humanity. I mean, here we are in a mess. But thankfully, there's a, a, a tree, if you will, that will save us and wash us clean, literally cause us to rise from the dead and out of the muck and the mire and put our feet on a solid rock. <clears throat> but number two, it's interesting, I believe that that 
particular piece of iron, that axe head could represent some, uh, a, a few other things as well. But we see that the believer that's been rescued from sin and has passed from death to life is now capable of ministering to Christ and others. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Let's just go to 10. I'll make it eight. For by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, <clears throat> which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what we do know <clears throat> from the passage is that there is a work for us to do. There's a work for us to do. Even as the sons of the prophets had a work to do. They had recognized the need to build. And so we find them building. You too, myself included, are to build the kingdom. We may not be called upon to build bigger and better buildings in this life, but we are to build the body of Christ and we are to build the kingdom of God. And it's been said in, uh, concerning the Word of God, one interpretation, many applications, and I want to consider one of those applications in the passage. Like those students, we are given the tools necessary to accomplish the calling of God in our life and to build the kingdom. Every person in the room has been given some ability, some gifts, if you will. And as a result of that, they're to be used for the building of the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He realized that once he received Jesus Christ, once he was rescued out of the muck and mire of humanity, once he realized that sin that had a grip on him and that held him under and held him down was no longer binding him, he was now raised up to walk in newness of life and he was able to go forward pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now he could go forward and build the kingdom that he now became part of. And that's what we see here in our passage. These young men are out there building and they're trying to, to accomplish something great. The axe head flies off, goes into the water, and guess what? We now have one of those men that is unable and uh, incapable of contributing to the work of God now. That axe head, axe head can represent those talents and the abilities that God's equipped you with. They are the tools that God intended you to use to build his kingdom. Every one of us has those gifts and tools. Everybody has abilities that God has given. One may say, well, mine aren't what that one is. I know every person is an individual, and every individual has unique gifts and abilities. And again, they are the tools, if you will, that God has given in order to build his kingdom. But sadly enough, if we're not careful, we can become distracted to the point that we no longer exercise our God-given gifts. The axe head goes into the muck and mire. The axe head is lost. The, the utilizing now the ability to build the kingdom is lost because we've been distracted. 
Or possibly we've gotten hurt or bitter and stopped exercising our God-given gifts. How many times have we knocked on a door? How many times have we visited someone and they've said, well, I used to go to church. Well, why don't you now? Well, I was hurt. You know what's happened along the way? They were involved in the work of God, potentially. They had their axe, and they had the axe head, but unfortunately the axe head went on into the muck and mire. The fact is is that it was lost. It's no longer available, and they are not serving any longer. The gifts and abilities that they have are not being used for the purpose God intended or gave them. You've got to have an axe head if you want to be building Those gifts, the abilities that God has given you have been given with a purpose. But many times if we've been distracted or possibly gotten hurt or become bitter, those gifts are no longer exercised or used. Or maybe, possibly, people just get lazy and they no longer exercise their God-given gifts. But no matter the reason... We've lost the axe head. And if we lose the axe head, if we cease serving the Lord, if we fail to use the gifts that God has given us, especially if at one point we did have them and use them, we struggle to find them again. Even as that young man looked into that muddy Jordan and said, man, I can't get back to work because I can't even get the X head back out. I don't know where it's at. I got to believe that he went through and he tried to find it the best he could, but he couldn't find it. Fortunately, he had the man of God who ultimately said, oh, by the way, let me help you out. There's a cross over there that if you put your eyes on it, will help you to find your gifts again. He threw that stick into that water and that axe head floated. And he said, well, pick it up. Time to get back to work. (laughs) By the way, those gifts, those talents and abilities that God has given you, they're simply on loan. Even as that axe head wasn't really that young man's. Neither are those gifts and abilities that you've been given by God. They're borrowed. You say, I got me a voice. I can speak loud and I, I can project and, or I, I can sing or possibly I have an ability to crunch numbers or maybe you're really good at dealing with people and you've got the gift of gab or possibly, I don't know, you're, 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 you're good administratively or, or you're just, uh, you name it. Those aren't yours. They're borrowed. They're gods, and they're simply on loan. Will you use your gifts for God, the God who gave them to you? Who gave them to you with a purpose? Will you be careful not to discard them or to lose them along the way? God never equipped us for the purpose of indulging in the flesh. He gave those gifts to us and abilities to us to use for His glory, to build His kingdom. How many times have we lost the accent? We can't find it. We're not not spending our time and we're not 
using our talents in order to accomplish what God's called us to do, but we've used them maybe in the secular world. Oh, we're making a good living utilizing those gifts that God's given us, but we fail to use them for the purpose that God intended. That'd be sad, wouldn't it? So there's a potential danger. As believers in Christ, we have hope and purpose. You know that the world searches for purpose and they struggle to find it? We are confident that somebody, excuse me, that we're somebody in Jesus Christ. And we're confident that he said, if we know the Bible, we're confident that he saved us with a purpose. And that purpose is to build. There's not a person alive that's been saved by the blood of Christ who has been saved, as we say proverbially, to sit, but to serve. See, everyone has a purpose in Christ. We know that he died for us. We know that, he, that we were that valuable to him, that he gave himself on our behalf. We are somebody in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are all told to be servants and build his kingdom. We have a purpose for existing. So we find purpose in Christ, not outside Christ, or at least we shouldn't. Psalm 16, 5 says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. See, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. What did the song say over here, Brother Mark? What did it say? The one you guys sang. Christ is enough for me. What a perfect song. Because that's exactly what we're saying here. We find purpose in Christ, not outside of Christ, but in Christ Jesus. Christ is enough. That's what we believe, or at least that's what we're told in the Word of God. That's what we're to, to put rest our, 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 hang our hat on, if you will. Do you know that suicide is the second leading cause of death for college students? That's hard to believe, isn't it? Second leading cause of death for college students. We think of college students and we think about young and, and vibrant and, and usually healthy and, and just, I mean, their whole life ahead of them. Second leading cause of death is suicide. There are approximately 1,100 suicides on college campuses per year. 25% know of someone who has died as a result of suicide. 40% know of someone who has attempted it. In a recent national survey, 10.3% of college students reported that they seriously considered suicide in the past 12 months. Listen to this one. 16% of college students reported being diagnosed with a depressive disorder, many within the last year. 16%. Over 90% of of persons who commit suicide have a diagnosable mental disorder, typically a depressive disorder or substance abuse disorder. 
Now that one is misleading. You like how they threw that last little line in? Substance abuse disorder. Like somehow that's a mental disorder. That's called bad choices. It's called sin. Consequences of sin. For sure that is. Nonetheless, those statistics are alarming. You know what they're telling us? People do not have hope today. Young people, even in college, whose lives are well ahead of them, it would seem, who are at the pinnacle of health, are without hope and without purpose, many. That's hard to imagine. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember being that age, and it wasn't that long ago. And I, man, I remember, man, my life is ahead of me, boy. Let's go. You know, I mean, you get through school and you're excited about graduating. We're in college or you're not. But you're young. Your life's ahead of you. What does tomorrow hold? What's tonight hold? Everything's fresh. Everything's new. But today... There's a good group of our young men and young ladies who have no hope. Who are so discouraged, so disenchanted with the world they live in and the life that they lead, that they're willing to end it. Scary, isn't it? It's alarming. What a tragedy. Again, what's the problem? Well... It's not worth living when you're an old axe head down in the bottom of the muddy Jordan. It's not a very pleasant place to be. And that's where we find mankind. It's not until Christ lifts us out of the muck and mire. It's not until His cross, His death, His burial and resurrection places us back in His plan and endues us with His purpose that life finally becomes worthwhile. You know what's so tragic really overall is is that so many believers are equally hopeless. I, 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 I am convinced more than ever that with the onset of all the social media outlets, all these the ability that we have to be connected through phones and devices and all of those things. Hold on, before you think I'm going to rip them, you know what I'm going to rip? Is the fact that you and I spend so little time in that one. We will stick our face in a phone and we will look at a screen and we will be just engulfed in the television set for hour on end, and we spend so little time in God's Word, and we wonder why we have no hope. Really, why? The world is in a mess, and we've escaped it. We've been delivered out of it, and yet we continually go back and eat at its mucky troughs. Oh, let's eat the slop of the pigs again. Let's just... Take our fill of the slop of the world. 
And then we wonder why we see things the same way they do and feel the same way they do. We have been given life. He raised us out of that muck and mire. And He gave us the tools that we need to be useful in the kingdom of God and to serve the Creator God. And yet we find ourselves equally bound by the very world that we've been delivered from because we continue to submit to it. And again, there, the degree of that is dependent on you. But I can promise you this, not one of us is not affected. All of us, I should say, are affected to some degree or another. The question is how much. Do yourself a favor sometime. Keep a log of how much time you spend on your phone every day. And then compare it to how long you have spent in the Bible. Whether it's studying it or memorizing it or reading it, compare the two. Honestly, compare the two. And then, I think if you'll compare it and you'll be honest, and again, don't go on a reading binge the week that you decide to compare. Well, you know, I'm going to read through half the Bible this week. Oh, preacher, I spend four hours a day in my Bible and I spend two and a half hours on my phone. Yeah, well, last week, you spent two and a half or three hours on your phone, easy, maybe five a day, and you spent five minutes reading. I'm just saying, the axe head's been lost many times. We're laying down our tools, the tools that have been borrowed, and we owe Christ something. They're not ours, and here we are, allowing them to lay at the bottom of a muck and, 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 and nasty world, and, and instead of utilizing for Christ's sake the reason they were given, we continue to feel as defeated as the world does. It's amazing as you start looking at statistics and you realize how many young people feel like failures already. It's unbelievable. They haven't even lived enough life to be a failure. But they already feel like failures. Christ is the answer. Whether we're saved or whether we're lost, He is always the answer. He alone will rescue us from the muck and mire and give us purpose and service. We need God today. We find Him in the Word of God. And what do we need to do? What, what, what do we need to do? Well, the Bible says in verse 5 of our passage, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, Master, alas, Master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? And he shooed him the place. He cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it up. first thing we got to do when we find that the axe head is missing we're not using the 
talents. We're not utilizing the abilities that God has given us like he intended to build the kingdom. The first thing we need to do is go to the master. In this case, he cried and said, alas, master. There it was a man of God, but can I tell you, you need to go to the master today. That's the first place. If our sin is against anyone, like David said, it's against thee and thee only that have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. If I've discarded the axe head, if I've allowed it to sink into the muck and mire, if I got so distracted that I forgot where it was even, I haven't utilized it for your purpose, God. You've given it to me. You lent it to me. It's a borrowed, they're borrowed gifts, and yet I've wasted them on self and the world. I apologize. I asked your forgiveness. I have sinned. Go to the master. Again, recognize that those abilities and talents that you possess are not yours but are borrowed. Again, we have a responsibility to use the gifts that God has given us, the abilities God has given us for his purpose. Notice also in verse 6, the man of God says, well, well, where fell it? You need to go back where you got off track. You need to go back where you got off track. Where was it that you left the axe head? Where was it? When was it? Go back. Where fell it? When did you stop serving the Lord like you should? When did you stop reading your Bible like you ought to? When did you stop praying as you intended? When, have, when did you get off track? When did you finally skip the, get off the rails and, and crash and burn, so to speak? When did you start playing the game and pretending to be the Christian you used to be, but you really weren't and aren't? Come on. Go back where you got off track, because that's where you left. It's where you'll find it. People like to just get back on wherever they're at. They don't want to go back and have to deal with the carnage and the wreckage of it all. I'll just start where I left off. I left it here, and now I realize here I should, I got to go find the exit. I got to get back where I was. You don't get back where you were till you go back where you were. You, you, you don't just jump back on here because there's probably a lot of people you hurt along the way, or there possibly are situations, or there's, there's I guess we might even say, um, disciplines that you have to reestablish. Go back. Make sure there's nothing left behind. That's where you're going to find the accent. That's where you're going to find what you left off, where you left it. That's, that's where you do it. That's what you need to do. And then, then you need to believe the master has the answer and that the answer is found in his word and at the foot of the cross in verse 6. He cuts down that stick and he casts it thither and the iron did swim. It represents the cross of Christ. And let me tell you, the cross of Christ is found in the word of God as well. You'll never see the cross of Christ outside of the word of God. And the world's not quick to share it, that's for sure. You want to find it, you want to see its power, you're going to have to find it in the word of God. There's all kind of crosses people wear around their necks and all kind of images that they want to elevate in their lives. But the truth is, the only place you're going to find God's cross and the only place you're going to find God's real uh, personality and, and his definition of self is in his book. You got to get in the Word of God. You got to get back to the cross. You know, that's really where it all begins. 
where it all, in a sense, ends for us. We've got to remember what he's done for us. Until we get back to that cross, until we go there, we'll not really appreciate him enough to serve him and to pick up those, that axe head of abilities and gifts and use it for his kingdom's sake. And then once you get back there and once you pick up that axe head, once you recognize that you sinned against God and you've confessed your fault before him and you've gotten back to where you left it and you've settled and surrendered everything again and you've picked up the axe head, well, it's time to get back to work. Well, I'm going to get into it slow. You just need to get back into it. You were created to serve the master. So serve him. Well, I've got a lot of responsibilities now. That's all right. You dropped everything as far as God's business to accomplish yours. Why don't you just drop everything of yours to accomplish his now? It's funny how we're all about giving up God's word, giving up God's relationship with God, giving up God's house. We give up all kinds of things. We give up serving the Lord. We give up reaching souls. We give up that stuff real easy. Just like that. But then when it comes time for us to have to give a few things up to get back to it, we go, hold on. There's people depending on me. Oh, that's right. God was depending on you. Oh, that's right. Lost souls were depending on you. Oh, that's right. Your family was depending on you to be a testimony and a witness of the light. But now we're going to have to be cautious and careful. It's time to get back to the work. Let's get at it. And I know I'm preaching to a Sunday night crowd. I get that, but hey, listen. There might be room for improvement, maybe. I played sports a long time in my life. You know what I found? I found that I could always get better. Didn't matter what level I played at. Even when I was on the Cleveland Browns farm team. No. <laughs> they had a farm outside of town. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter what level you are in sports. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can always improve, can't you? You know, as Christians, we can always improve. You might be doing good, but you could probably do better. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Let's make sure we're giving our best to the Master. Let's make sure that we haven't let the axe head slip off into the muck. That we haven't discarded those abilities and those gifts that God's given us. That we have not failed to use them for His glory, for the purpose that He gave them to us. And maybe tonight, maybe you don't even know for sure Christ is your Savior. And you're still dead in your sins. And you need to be raised out of the muck and mire, your feet placed on the solid rock. Why don't you settle your soul's salvation today? Why don't you invite Christ into your life? Allow Him to be your Savior today. Settle it once and for all. And then take the axe head that God has given you and start using it to build the kingdom. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the opportunity that we have just to take a simple passage and just to make a few simple applications. And Lord, we know, Father, that 
you are able to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think. Oh, how we need you today. Lord, there's not one of us here that's perfect, of course. Lord, we, we realize there's room for improvement. Lord, that's true in any area of life. It's true in our own spiritual walk and relationship with you. I'm glad you're merciful. You're so long-suffering and so kind to us. But Lord, maybe we have neglected or possibly taken for granted the axe head that was placed in our hands. You instilled in us or have given to us or loaned to us, I should say, those many gifts and abilities that are ours, and may we use them for your glory, for the building of your kingdom, to accomplish the goal and the calling that you've given us. We need you tonight. Speak to you the believer's heart, and if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, may they be convicted of sin and see a need to confess it before the Savior and to receive and accept him as payment for their sin tonight and settle their soul's salvation once and for all. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight.